Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Welcome to the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I will be raising my glass to all of the books that were released on the 29th of May, 2019, as well as talking about everything else relevant to the world of comic books. So, full disclosure, I do curse a lot, so hide the kiddos, and I do drop spoilers. So, if you're cool with all that, grab yourself a drink, we'll talk comic books. But first, let's get into the news. Just a couple of things to talk about this week. Once again, Tom King's in the news. Uh, I think we know a little bit more about that super secret meeting that he's been quietly twittering about for the last few months. And looks like he's going to be co-writing a New Gods movie with Warner Brothers. So, that's cool, right? Fucking New Gods on TV. Tom King. Maybe he can use that as his excuse as to why he got... Kicked off of Batman, decided to stop Batman early. I don't know how you want to put it, but yeah, that's what's going on there. Um, the other piece of news is uh, Marvel 1000. Again, I'll be talking about that. They had a little whoopsie doodle. They decided that in their montage cover artwork they were doing to just randomly throw in some DC. And <laughs> so, yeah. And. Uh, I will say, <laughs> the, the DC image they chose is, um, Nicholas Scott's art, and, well, who did they put in there? They, they would have known if they put Shazam in Marvel, right? Or they know Batman's not Marvel, right? No. No, obviously it's something pretty low radar that an editor wouldn't really catch, and it's just a couple of guys kissing. But it was portrayed in a DC book, so it's DC art. Oh, bother. And the uh, collage artist responsible for it, uh, what's his name, Mr. Garson? He formally apologized and said, whoopsie doodle, my bad, got that one off the internet. So he blamed the internet, but he also took responsibility as well. So it is what it is, and that's the news. Uh, what are we drinking this week? I'll tell you. Dale's Pale Ale, another Colorado classic from Oscar Blues. It's um a huge voluminously hopped mother of a pale ale. Their words, not mine. <laughs> I like it. It is rather hoppy for a pale ale. Um, if anything, it tastes like an IPA. But what are you gonna do? I'll be drinking it. 
probably a little bit slower than usual because I'm not really a hoppy guy normally. That's why I drink so few IPAs, even though I'm from Colorado, and that's kind of a Colorado fucking thing. You gotta drink IPAs if you're from Colorado. Well, I'm not a hipster, so what are you gonna do? Let's talk about comic books. The overviews, the stuff that I read throughout the week. Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I'm going to start with uh, Boom Studios, Indies once again. Uh, I, I've i been kind of neglecting the Rangers throughout this podcast. Uh, Shattered Grid was great. And then I started the podcast after Shattered Grid ended, and I kind of got lost. Because I don't know this new generation of rangers. I'm in my 30s, so some of the 20-year-old, you know, the, the you, you, you 20-year-old generation, you have a better idea. Or or you just kept following, if you are in your 30s like me and know about the time rangers and all of these people. I honestly don't know. Solar rangers? Is that what I'm dealing with right now in this book? Let me know. Uh, but the fact is, is that a, a fan reached out and said, you need more... Power Rangers in your podcast, and I said, I'm going to have to agree with that. So I picked up Mighty Morphin Power Rangers again, number 39, Marguerite, Marguerite Bennett, Simone DeMeo, and Whitney Kogar. Um, I'm lost as shit, <laughs> as I expected to be. It's the end of an arc. Um, I'm kind of, I am glad that I read it, though, because I think I'm going to, going to go into the next big Power Rangers event just a wee bit more, more knowledgeable. So essentially, I'll give you the the best rundown I possibly can. It will be quick. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Jamal Campbell on that cover as well. Purdy. So we got the, I want to say it's the Solar Rangers, and they're fighting this Prater, 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 feller. And in the most Power Rangerist of fashions, after we're being defeated, we're being defeated. But oh yeah, we do that thingy, and uh, they, they form a Megazord. Yeah, it's a pretty cool fucking Megazord. It's just, oh, it's a brand new type of Megazord. I don't know, because this is a new thing. This might be a key issue, a minor key issue. And, uh, yeah, so we've got uh, the, the Rangers put... They put the Soralax back together. The Solar Axe. I don't know what that means, but the Solar Axe is back together, so that means something. <laughs> and that, that means the grid's back, so now we can get back to living. L-I-V-I-N. Power Rangers style. So, uh, end of an arc? I, I, I really don't know. I know there's a moment where we got these alien failers, fellas. Hold on. They're ladies. Alien ladies? <laughs> uh, they're, they're discussing training new rangers of the future, and we could do that now because the grid's back together. And burp, 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 burp. I, I, like I said, I'm lost. I apologize to all of you hardcore fans ranger followers but i did my best i'm i am this don't let this deter you from listening to me talk about power rangers in the future because i'm gonna do good from now on or i'm gonna do my best uh hellboy hellboy and lobster johnson number one this is a one shot mike mignola chris roberson mike norton dave stewart paul gist and bill crabtree cover by Paulo Rivera, and it's a fucking sweet cover, dude. That is old school fucking underground boxing posters. Looks like a goddamn photograph. It's good. So, what? And this is fantasy world essentially. You've got 
Hellboy and Vic. They're watching a movie. Keep in mind, it's the the fucking what is it? It's like the '60s now, late '50s, something like that. I don't know what year it is. Um, fact is, they're watching a movie, and the movie just so happens to be Lobster Johnson doing stuff, and it's it's it, it's campy as fuck, but in the best way possible. This Lobster Johnson, Johnson, Lobster Johnson. Goes into this Mexican town and, Senor, we are being terrorized. And I'll help you. And he goes and he does that, and and just so happens that he's being terrorized by this devil fella, and he kind of looks like Hellboy. And that's that's where our story is in movie mode, and it's ridiculously fun. Only Hellboy's actual appearance. He's his horns like. They look fluffy. It's, it's hard to explain. It's it's goofy as shit. Totally worth the read. This is very... Like, campy is the word. But, um... Yeah, no, it's... I don't know. There's a ritual with the ring of death, and as there would be with the devil. So, yeah, what are you gonna do? Um, let's move... That's all I've got for indies as far as the overviews, unfortunately. I did... There were a bunch purchased, but... Some things are just in weird parts right now, so it's hard to find things to to explain. Um, let's uh, let's move on to DC though. A little bit of Tom King action. Hmm. Heroes in Crisis number nine of nine. Tom King along with Clayman and Tomal Moray, and they also did that cover together as well. And uh, you know, as wishy-washy as this story has been. It has never fell sh- fallen short one time of absolutely gorgeous. The artist they've had on this, Mitch Gerards, has done pages in this story. It's It's been really, really visually stunning. Confusing and somewhat frustrating. Very frustrating for all you hardcore Wally fans. But, yeah. Uh, so, uh, truth be told... The way issue 8 ended, when I saw Heroes in Crisis, again, for whatever reason, I thought it was a reprint, because I figured I'd already read the end of the story the way 8 ended. Because <laughs> I think I was one of those people that was kind of disappointed. Not super disappointed, not Wally West hardcore disappointed, but still kind of a what the what was the point of this disappointed. Essentially what's going on here is Booster and Beetle and Batgirl and Harley, they make their way back to the point in time right before Wally's going to... Break, stay with me here. Right before Wally is going to break his neck to fix things and make things right, and uh, time travel rules, time travel rules, time travel rules. These are our time travel rules. And then we get a, uh, Harley and Poison Ivy are reunited. That's cool. Poison Ivy looks fucking dope. I love the way they drew her, um, uh, like the the leaves or her her skin tone. She's naked. But she looks like if her, um, all of her skin was ripped off and her muscle flesh was dyed green. And then instead of a fleshy tone was giving a leafy tone. And that's what she looks like. And it's fucking cool. But you get that whole pretty girl reuniting. And essentially what's going on here is Booster has this idea to make it so that no Wally's necks have to get snapped. And we'll just... 
complete the time loop and we'll go back to another time, blah, blah, blah. And then Wally will end up turning himself in because on account of the people that he did, you know, there are people dead. Now, here's my thing. Here's my thing. They're going to go back in time and complete this loop and save Wally from dying. And why can't they go back just a wee bit further and save all those other motherfuckers from getting killed? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand time travel, so I can't legit question because I'll probably just make myself sound stupid. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> I, I really am. I don't, I don't get it. But uh, just, I'm just going to come out and say it. It's my least favorite Tom King thing ever. Is it horrible? No, because Tom King is a top-tier writer. And I still find him to be a top-tier writer. I just think that the the a lot of the negative fans have gotten into DC's ear, and they're just kind of take, pulling the reins back on him a little bit. At least that's my speculation. He is still getting, I think, a 20-issue maxi of Catwoman and Batman, so possibly to re finish retelling his Batman story that's getting cut off at 85. I don't know. I don't know. But, eh, yeah, you know, I'm glad it's over. Uh, let's move on to the next Tom King story. But first, let's move on to Detective Comics. We got an annual this week. The second annual in the Rebirth universe. Oh boy, Peter J. Tomasi, Travis Moore, Max Rayner, Tamara Bonvillain, and Nick Filardi, covered by Gilia March. So this was another beautiful book. Has really, as far, I mean, from what I could tell, has nothing to do with the, the current Detective Comics thing. The Arkham Knight wasn't mentioned at all. This is just Batman being a detective. Um, I don't know if you guys are picking that up or not, but we're getting a pretty fucking awesome thunderstorm right now in Denver, so. And for the viewers, if you get flashes of lightning, the room's not on fire, that's, uh, that's, that's lightning. <laughs> hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, Detective Comics. Annual number two. We're getting, it starts out where we got Eraserhead. He's getting rested. And that's, that's just really has nothing to do with the story. It's just the beginning of the book, and, yeah, he's getting arrested. I was like, oh, fucking, I didn't mean to kill him. I just wanted to fuck him up a little bit. And by that, what I mean is Eraser got jealous of his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend and accidentally killed him. So, here comes Batman. On with the actual meat of the story. I just like how, the way Eraser looks. <laughs> so, anyways... Uh, there's a possibility throughout Gotham that this Reaper fucker's back. Well, Batman says, impossible. I took care of that dickhead while a long time ago. I watched him die, as a matter of fact. I didn't want him to die. I tried to kill him. I'm Batman. But he died. He did. And, well, how could this be? So he goes into his black case book, and he opens it up, and, um, he, he's comparing... Uh, the, the case files from the actual evidence of Reaper being out and about in Gotham... And he's specifically looking at this weapon. And then he opens up his black case book. And there's a picture of that weapon. He's like, hmm, Reaper. It's got to be him. But how? Like I said. <laughs> uh, what's Reaper? Well, Reaper is Batman if he killed. Well, isn't that already a thing? Isn't that right? Well, yeah. So what's the story with Reaper? How does, what's, what's going on there more? Well, I'll tell you. Um... 
Batman dated uh, this, what's his name, Caspian. Caspian is the name of Reaper, his, his, his god name. And uh, he's got a daughter named Rachel. I don't know what it is about Batman and Rachel's, but Batman likes this Rachel too. And uh, he, the, for Batman falls into a, it's 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 hard to explain really. What it, really what it comes down to is through uh, through the love of Batman and Rachel, Daddy Reaper gets mad and then he ends up dying. And then here we are now, and we've got a new Reaper running about, and Batman suspects that it could possibly be Rachel or something like that. And it's not. It's just this random ass motherfucker. Well. Why? I mean, well, I'll tell you why. Because he got put up to it by Caspian Jr. Or whatever his name is. Um, and what, Julian is what it... Yeah. Julian Caspian. So that's... That's... Yeah. Caspian's the last name. So, Reaper Prime is the guy controlling other guys. So, so essentially, this is another minor key. We get the first appearance of Reaper Prime. The Reaper that has been going about has been puppeted. He is a killer, but he's still a weak-minded feller. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really the, the gist of what's going on in the annual. Very, very enjoyable. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful art on the inside. I mean, all throughout. And obviously, there's a lot more to it than this. We get some very fun flashbacks of uh, Bruce and Rachel... In the younger days, and Rachel making Bruce car sick, flying down a uh, crazy mountain road. And, yeah, I don't know. Fun stuff. Um, let's. Uh, we still got more. No, that was. That's all I had for DC to talk about on the overviews again, guys. I still read a lot of stuff. Uh, I guess I just go ahead and foremention that the honorable mention segment of this podcast will be beefier than ever because i read a bunch of books i didn't slack this week on account of it still being comic-con i still read fucking 25 goddamn books fully prepared to review them all unfortunately some things just yeah yeah um let's uh let's talk about the last night on earth the last night on earth oh man the end of an era with batman or at least the Snyder Capula era. So last night on Earth, Scott Snyder, Greg Capula, Jonathan Glapion, uh, and FCO Placencia cover. But I got the Capullo and Placencia cover. I didn't get the Jock cover. As a matter of fact, you just saw me uh, for the viewers. You saw me scrambling to find it. Well, I don't have it in front of me on account it's in my Comic Con pile because I had to go get it signed by Capullo this weekend. So, off the top of the head, Batman's in a hospital, and uh, he's, years and years have passed, we don't know how many years exactly, but the fact is, he's been in the hospital for some time, he gets approached by Alfred, and Alfred's explaining the world is pretty much gone, and uh, it's all your fault, Batman, it's all your fault. And uh, it's all a lot of this has all been in your head. You've never lived Batman or something like that. And I, I really don't understand the, the 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 question in here. But the fact is, is he will he goes to say I'm going to get your cow and Batman or Bruce 
Like, oh yeah, good. It's time for me to get out of here and start fucking shit up again. Well, he brings him a straight jacket that has a bat cowl on it, and he explains that this the whole time has just been electroshock therapy and you're really just cray cray and um, and then you start to wonder well Alfred how come uh, if all these years have passed you look so much the same well they answer that with a digital mask and then you get to see the age progression that Alfred has gone through since Batman's been in the hospital and hmm, yeah flash forward he's in the desert rising up from the sand the only real big major part of the book I'm completely fucking lost on. I don't know why he's in the desert now. I don't know why he's in the sand after being in the hospital. I read this big thick book twice and maybe my pea brain just doesn't get it. Maybe I missed something. Maybe it just hasn't been explained and I'm trying too hard. I don't know. But I don't like when you do that, Snyder. I really don't like that. Anyways... Up from the sand, and he finds a lantern just chilling there. And not like a green lantern thing, but just a lantern. But what's what's up with this lantern? It's got the Joker's head in it! So, yeah. <laughs> it's got the Joker's head in it. And he, uh, Joker's... It's preserved. It's alive. And... Yeah. It's, uh... There's a lot of joking going on. It's, once again, it's hard to explain. I should, I almost should have put this in the honorable mentions. But what it comes down to is Batman, I think, is just trying to prove that he he is useful, was useful, or this book. And then maybe that's not what he's trying to prove. Maybe the book is trying to show that we're better off without Batman, or have been better off with Batman. It should have never existed. I don't know. I, I can. It's it's a it's a thick book. And you get your $6 worth, that's for damn sure. It's beautiful. Like, Capullo doing fucking art. On interiors, you... Come on. Of course you're gonna read it. Of course you're gonna fucking read it. You read it. I don't even need to tell you. Why am I telling you? You read it. Uh, well, and then really what it comes down to is we get this major threat being referred to as Omega, and then there's this hint that it could possibly be a former Robin of some sort. I don't know. So... That's time to go after Omega. That's the last night on Earth, and that's all I got for DC. Let's officially move on to uh, Marvel. Thanos number two. Ooh, that thunder sounds awesome. Teeny Howard, Ariel Olivetti, and Antonio Fabella. So, this... I thought I thought we were going to get number two syndrome here. A lot of times when a book that I have low expectations on comes out with a number one that I actually really dig, uh, nine times out of ten, the number two fulfills my number one expectations and just kind of shits the bed. Not necessarily shit the bed, but doesn't. it's not as good. Danos does not have the itis, or the number two. I'm going to call it the deuce. That's, that's what it's officially called now, the deuce. This is dope. So, oh yeah, and Jeff DeCall did this cover too. We know that Gamora is now on board Thanos' ship. Thanos still needs to kill. He's really confused as to how Gamora, little Gamora, baby Gamora, was able to see death. So, off to prison you go. You are locked away. The Ma, come take her, and you, you're in charge of her now. 
Well, long story short, Gamora escapes. She's running through the ship fucking willy-nilly. Thanos doesn't have any idea, or at least the Maw doesn't think so. Ma, the Maw gets uh, uh, the Butcher Squadron, which is essentially pre-Black um, Order. That's what's going on. Gets the Butcher Squadron to come in and help. Let's find this, this little green bitch. And then he explains, check it out. Uh, let's let's mutiny. Let's do mutiny, guys. I actually let Gamora go for free. I mean, <laughs> on purpose for free. <laughs> so that we can prove to Thanos that he needs us and yada, yada, yada. Well, when we go catch capture Gamora, or it's going to be this redeeming moment for us, and then we'll mutinize him or some shit like that. I don't know. I don't totally understand his logic. Fact is, it's an epic failure because when they find Gamora, she's just chatting it up with Thanos already. <laughs> and Thanos finds this as, as an excuse to get a little kill going. Let's kill, uh, what's his name? Uh, Infesti. And he's the bug-looking motherfucker that's never joins the Black Order. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that's... It's a, it's a fun book is what it is. I very, very much enjoyed it. Thanos. Amazing Spider-Man number 22. Uh, this is the end of the hunted story. Oh, legacy numbering 823. Nick Spencer, Umberto Ramos, Victor Olazaba, Edgar Delgado, and Eric Garcianega. Covered by Ramos and Delgado. So the spiders all up in a cage. Forced to watch... Uh, Craven Jr. I still don't know his son's name. I'm, I keep calling him Craven Jr. Forced to watch him kill Billy and Black Cat. Um, meanwhile, the lizard is loose. The the little uh, surgery that Spider-Man performed on him in the last issue seemed to have taken. So he's out running around. Um. Graven comes in, and then somehow Spider-Man uh, gets released, and it's on purpose. Like, Craven lets him go on purpose or something? I don't really explain it. But uh, he gets out, Spider-Man's running around, and then Craven gives this whole 12-page speech about how it needs to be Spider-Man that kills Craven and the spider, is the curse of the spider for Craven. Only the spider can kill Craven. So that's what's going on there. And essentially, of course, Spider-Man's like, why would I? No, I'm not gonna kill you, dude. You're... I guess you get to live forever, bro. Sorry. Not killing you. I'm gonna go do this. Meanwhile, Lizard shows up right as Craven Jr. is getting ready to kill the shit out of Black Cat. And that's really cool how Lizard just fucking rips into... Craven Jr., that's actually really badass. And the Vulture leads this villain re rebellion to take out the rest of the little hunter droids happening. And all the good guys win. And then we get this moment where we see Craven approaching this casket. And you're like, oh, are you a fucking vampire this whole time? Is that why you're going to live forever? You just have, uh, I don't know. He puts on this. Spider suit, and go gets killed by his own son. 
So the spider still kills him because his son thinks that Spider-Man just so happened to put on 150 pounds and 8 inches and I don't know. Uh, my Not my favorite uh, Nick Spencer Spider-Man story. The fact that it's over is very awesome because I want to read Spider-Man again, not weep over a bunch of fucking villains that really nobody cares about. Uh, I know it sounds like I'm kind of going on a negative tangent here, but when you hype it up, when you, the author, Nick Spencer, hype it up and say, this is going to be a pivotal moment in Spider-Man, and all you get out of this is Craven's son, whom we had just met, have no attachment to, kills Craven in a Spider-Man suit in a very unbelievable fashion. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, if you would have got someone else to draw Spider-Man and draw Spider-Man, you know, normal looking, that'd be fine. But you drew Spider-Man to look like he fucking goddamn supermodel runway. Gotta lose 12 more pounds. Uh, it's The fact is, you drew him like a skinny little prick, Umberto Ramos. And it's not believable that Craven's big, giant, fucking monstrous body is in the Spider-Man suit and gets mistaken but I'm sorry. Uh, and a hunter, aren't you guys supposed to be excellent fucking trackers and shit? You wouldn't think for a second. Like, these footprints don't... Mm. Don't hype up stories like this, Nick Spencer. Don't say this is why you got Spider-Man. I think you got Spider-Man because Dan Slot got tired and no one else wanted to try to take over that slot. Oops, did I say it? Might have said it. I look forward to your next Spider-Man stories, though. You're not a bad writer, you're just not... That was the hundred story is, I, I I think we'll be hearing from Craven in a week or two is the fact. <laughs> uh, how about some Immortal Hulk action, huh? How about some Immortal Hulk action? Number eighteen, Legacy seven hundred and thirty-five. Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, Roy Jose, and Paul Mounts, covered by of course the Alex Ross. Of course, Alex Ross. Why would he stop now? They've been so good. So, um, Mortal Hulk. Where we left off last time was, uh, the Abomination. He back. Well, where we start out this time, this is fucking first appearance of the Red Harpy, bitches. Betty Banner, is that her name? Betty Banner? Betty Banner. Um, yeah, Betty Banner, that's her name. She is the Red Harpy. She's found by Jackie McGee, the detective lady. So she finds her, and we see, yeah, this this is Betty as full-out Red Harpy mode. And goddamn, is that horrific looking? It's dope. It's fucking super dope. But that's not the only first official appearance we get out of this. We also get the first official appearance of Abomination with the fucking face open and the hands. Because, you know, you saw the, the, the hand face. It's got like three different hands. And then you open it up, and you got Rick Jones. Just help is just just that's all he wants help it's rick jones is still fucking there that's horrific it's horrific well abomination he's after bruce meanwhile we get now i will say once again i'm back to being confused this this story has been a roller coaster for me none of it's ever been bad there's just moments where i may not i just there might be a little too much um, Hulk lore that one should know to understand these things, uh, specifically the Joe Fixit thing, or maybe I just uh, missed something in the last 17 issues before this that explains it. The fact is, is 
I missed something, and I'm confused. Because Banner is Joe, fix it, or something. And I always, I thought Hulk and Banner were split now and two completely different entities. But now when Banner or Joe look into a mirror, they still see Green Hulk, not Grey Hulk. Because Joe would be Grey Hulk. So once again, confused. But we get a fucking fight. We get a goddamn fight. And we get this horrified look on the face of Hulk when... The, the hand opens up of Abomination, and you see that <sighs> Rick Jones. Dude. 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 Uh, this this is a book that you you put two on your pull list. Just pre-order two every week. One for you, one for fucking speculation's sake. Because in issue 18, we got the first official repair, appearance of Red Harpy. And Abomination. In issue 17, we get the first cameo appearance of Abomination. And in issue 16, we get the first cameo appearance of Red Harpy. So 16, 17, 18. Collectible much? I'd say. Immortal Hulk's been dope. It really has been. I, I understand the hype. I get it now. Um, I, there, there's always been a massive amount of hype for these, these books. And I, I've always been one of the minorities going oh, it's cool it's pretty well, i've never seen anything like this but it's a little too artsy for me the storytelling is just too deep and that's not bad that's not a bad thing it's I, when you read as many books as i do this is a book that sometimes you just have to read on its own you can't read anything before you go into it <laughs> just go in fresh that day of comic reading start with the mortal hulk that's my point it can have that effect on people we're going to talk about Fantastic Four now. It's got itself a, uh, a War of the Realms tie-in. Fantastic Four, number 10, Legacy 655, Dan Slot, Paco Medina, uh, Kevin Lebronda, and Jesus Arbitrov. Covered by Asad Rubik. So, where does this take place in the world of War of the Realms? Uh, before issue number one of War of the Realms. So, read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 44 or 43, one of those. And then read Fantastic Four because Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur play a big part in this book. And actually, a very fun part. I, I, I kind of went on this rant about my disappointment in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur for the first time I read it. And I've always, I, I like the smart characters. And I really enjoy the fact that a six-year-old girl is the smartest character in the MCU. <laughs> I'm upset that I've never read anything of hers. Anything she's ever been in, ever. She's just one of those baseball card type of players. Uh, I don't know, I just coined that phrase. Uh, meaning, uh, you just you don't know anything about them besides what you see randomly. That, that baseball makes no sense there. Scratch that. Fact is, she's in this book, and she's actually drawn in a non-cartoony type of way. I dig, I dig the way she's depicted. It's the Yancey Street block party. Moon Girls, or Luna, Lunella shows up. And then we get, of course, the uh, finally, because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of debate right now. Is Franklin Richards the smartest? Is Val the smartest? Because they're both smarter than their daddy, Reed. But we already know that Lunella is smarter than read and definitely smarter than Banner because she passed the Banner test. And then Val even goes on to say, well... Bitch, I've been gone forever. 
out in space and shit just because you were the smartest person on Earth when you took the te- the Hulk smash test when I wasn't on Earth doesn't mean that you're the smartest person on Earth now. I wasn't here. So that's that's really the banter that you're getting between these guys. And it's, it's friendly, somewhat. You know, there's no hard feelings, really. It's teenagers. Teenagers. And, and a six-year-old. Teenagers arguing with a six-year-old. So... Portal opens up, Black Bifrost, um, everybody f- getting fucked up, so this is, like I said, right before the events of War of the Realms number one, so, um, and then you might be wondering, I know I've been wondering throughout all this, why not bring in Franklin fucking Richards, little god boy, and just, bye bye Malekith, well, he's, he's the one in charge of defending Yancey Street. He and Moon Girl and Val and Devil Dinosaur and the army. <laughs> They're defending Yancey Street. Because priorities, right? Right? No, that's, that's where you send the little god boy. You defend Yancey Street. Because God forbid anything happened to Yancey Street. I still liked it. It's I, I would have liked to actually have seen this book take place more in the current events of War of the Realms. Like, post- Issue number four, but that's not happening. Finding that a lot of these tie-ins that are related to ongoing runs, a lot of these take place before the event even starts. So, um, Luckily for most of these, I'm already subscribed, but things like Squirrel Girl and Moon Girl, uh, and I think there's a couple more. Uh, uh, next next week we got Captain Marvel. I've never bought a Captain Marvel book. I'll be doing that now. Because it's got a tie-in. So I guess it has got me a few times. But they won't be going on my pull. So, you failed there, Marvel. Gotcha. More War of the Realms. Giant Man, number two. Lee Williams. Marco Castillo. And Rachel Rosenberg, covered by Wu Chow. So the team is face down with those ice hounds, remember? Well, it means nothing because they're up the wall. Let's climb up the wall. Let's... Yeah, and that's what they do. And they get up the wall. <laughs> and then they're faced with the troll toll. But they ain't got no money. So let's sing Dolly Parton instead. Surely they'll let us go through if we could sing them a song. Well, it kind of worked. Because, I mean, they weren't impressed, but they laughed really hard. And they said, oh, let's go get drinks. And they go get fucked up on Giant Brew. Giant Ale. Giant Grog, whatever you call it. And then they're asked to sing the Song of the Giants, the Song of Jotunheim. They don't know that one. So that's a problem. <laughs> it's it's goofy as fuck. You see you see where I'm going with this? It's goofy as fuck. But it, it the the magnitude of this book really does start to get heavy uh, about three-quarters of the way through. So it takes an issue and three-quarters to get to the meat and potatoes, the bulk, the weight of it all. Uh, it's not just a joke book. This isn't a total cash grab. It shows, mm, fuck, these four heroes, they got put in a shitty situation. And really what it comes down to is they make their way towards the, the Castle de Laffy. That's not what it's called. Uh, the stronghold. Ymir stronghold. Ymir being the guy that Freya actually wants them to take out because Ymir and Laffy bone. 
and the only thing that could actually hurt Luffy would be for them to take out his uh, his Bonin buddy. So that's what they go to do, and when they get to that that stronghold, they realize that they're in way the fuck over their head. And Atlas explains, "Look, we're on a suicide mission. This is what it is. You guys are to deal with this." And even even old Scott Lang, he got the tear in his eye. He's like, "You know, fucking if Cassie, my daughter, is still out there, which it ain't looking good, but if she is." I think she'd be proud if I went down as a dead guy. <laughs> and kind of sad, actually. Actually, it's, it's really sad. Um, but uh, it makes me want to read the, the third and final issue of the miniseries tie-in that much more. And for that, I guess you got to give credit to Lee Williams. Uh, I know a lot of people are really talking shit about a lot of these tie-in books and how unnecessary they may be. I even said the last book was unnecessary because I don't, I really don't think that killing uh, Yidmir or whatever the fuck its name is, uh, Ymir, is going to really play a big part in Luffy's death. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Who am I to say? I can't say for sure. My speculation is still. Somewhat pointless, but at the same time, it's good comic telling. If they took the War of the Realms tie-in off of this, I think a lot of people would read this and be a lot less angry. Because it's still a good story. It's a well-drawn story. It's a well-colored story. So. Giant Man. Number two. War of the Realms, Spider-Man and the League of Realms. Number two of three. Sean Ryan, Nico Leon, and... Carlos Lopez, covered by Ken Lashley and Brian Reber. So, now, Fernanda, she is on the good guy's side. She wants to get a taste of not being evil. Spider-Man convinced her to do so. Spider-Man's League of Realms that was put together by Thor. Um, and keep in mind, all of this takes place post-issue 4 of War of the Realms. So, this is the most current thing happening in the story right now. Is Spider-Man in League of Realms, as of now. So, yeah, uh, they, uh, the, the, the team kind of splits up a little bit. They say, I, I'm going to go kill all the Dark Elves. Fuck this angel bitch that you just recruited because angels are bad. And Spider-Man seems to agree otherwise. And half of the other league, they, they stick around. The ones that split off are Sir Ivory, Ood, Screwbeard, and yeah, yeah, those three. And really, that's they, they go to the Vatican, and they're getting the, uh, overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. And then Curse shows up. And Curse is this other version of the Destroyer that's been uh, recruited by Malekith. So he's bad. He's there to actually kill uh, Fernand for... Um, turning her back on Malekith because she was he uh, an in command or or a a commanding officer of some shit and you know Spider-Man releases all the prisoners and shit that you know the, her her brigade has been responsible for housing and yeah filler issue but still very uh um informative so not a waste of time to read it all if you're digging this this series, it wasn't it, yeah, it was good. I really like the art on the inside for sure. The big thing though is that Curse 
uh, may not necessarily be wanting to do the bad shit he is because as he's fucking up this this trio of the the league or, or the split part of the league, he's saying the whole time, "Kill me, this, kill me, this sucks, kill me." As I bash your fucking face in, and I don't think he's saying it sarcastically. I think he wants to die. So interesting, I'd have to say. Let's uh let's move on to my last book of the overviews. More Marvel, of course, because why would I switch it up? Thor, number 13, Legacy 719. Jason Aaron, Mike Del Mundo. Not a Loki story. Not a Thor story. This takes place way, way back in the day. Way, way back in the day. Back when Odin was just a boy. This is about he... And his brother, Cole. So, that's Cole Borson. Got it. So, uh, this is pretty much the story of Cole and why he's not alive anymore and why nobody remembers him. There's not a whole lot to explain, really, but I didn't throw it into the honorable mention section because I have a feeling that somehow, some way, it is going to tie into the events of War of the Realms. I mean, it is a War of the Realms tie-in. But like I said, with a lot of these ongoing book series that have been tied in, even though this is a Jason Aaron book and he's responsible for the whole War of the Realms event, uh, it's it's all precursor to stuff. I mean, this takes place way, way back. There's no uh, mention of any War of the Realms events going on now, unfortunately, which I've kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this one deserves to even have the War of the Realms tag on it. But, nevertheless, it's a Thor book. And it's Mike Del Mundo doing the interiors. And it's fucking beautiful. And it's an awesome story, regardless of what it's about. It's a well-told... It's Jason fucking Aaron. Of course it's great. So, that is, uh... That's all I've got for the overviews this week. Kinda short. Some of that, like I said, contributes to the, the lack of meaningness in some stories... Some of it kind of contributed to Comic-Con and my lack of time this week. But, nevertheless, there's... I don't. I didn't hate anything I read. I, there was nothing I hated. If there's stuff in the future you guys want me to touch on more, spend more than a few minutes on, let me know. I'll start putting up Twitter polls and stuff. Maybe we'll start doing that. So, let's, uh, let's get on with the old honorable mentions, shall we? It's very rare. I buy this many Marvel books that make it to the honorable mention list. It just so happens that's the way the universe worked out this week. Bunch of books that I didn't get the chance to read or I'm reading in bulk or something like that. One of those being the Spider-Man City at War and this is number three now. It's Dennis Hopeless. I like I explain every time. I don't play the video games. And this is a video game Spider-Man. But for whatever reason I found it in my completionist ways to make sure I own this book. So, I own this book, and eventually, like I said, I'll probably read it. I think it's going to be five or six issues total. I'll read it, and maybe it'll make me go out and buy a PlayStation 4 that'll never get played. War of the Realms, War Scrolls, number two. This is a collection of stories, one of them being the Jason Aaron, uh, Daredevil, the God Without Fear story, and that's the most relevant out of all of these. All three of these mini-stories take place at different parts of the timelines in War of the Realms. It's difficult to explain. Very just random shit. 
not shit, but just randomness. Uh, the most relevant, like I said, being the Daredevil God Without Fear stuff, and it's kind of explaining more about his need to be killed. Malekith just wants to kill Daredevil because he's got Heimdall's uh, powers now. So that's a threat. This one I am sad to talk about for the last time. X-23, number 12. Mariko Tamaki and Diego Orlotegwe, Wong and Chris O'Halloran did an amazing job on what I thought was going to be an ongoing, but I think Hickman and his big floppy dick flopping all over the place with the floppy X-Men's and whatnot uh, just made sense for them to cancel all mutant titles and they were, seemed to be at a good stopping point for this. Or maybe this was just scheduled to be a maxi the whole time. And they didn't have faith in it being ongoing. One of my favorite Marvel titles, though. Uh, unfortunately, all I could say about the actual <laughs> ending of the story is Honey Badger decides to change her name. Her and Laura reunite again. They're both after the same cause. Uh... But even though they're split up, and they still have to rely on each other. They come together, and when it's all said and done, after they whoop that ass, uh, they you Honey Badger says, "Look, I'm done being Honey Badger. I want to be Scout now. Why Scout? Well, hey, remember in that one book when uh you get the the android clone lady, and they called it Tuwox." And then at the end of the book, you see Gabby writing out two walks backwards. Well, two walks backwards is Scout. So, in, in honor of old two walks, the, the fallen bio clone, uh, cyborg clone, that's her name now. So, is this a key issue? Yes, it is a key issue. It is a key issue indeed. A minor key. Because she changed her name. But yeah, they even <laughs> straight up call out Laura. Sure, Gabby calls out Laura. She's like, bitch, don't even give me no guff about changing my name. You've changed your name. Uh, X-23, Laura, all-new Wolverine, War Wolverine. Uh, I bet you've gone by Lore once. I bet you one of your girlfriends called you Lore once. She didn't say that. It's just, yeah. I'm... I'm stalling because I don't want to not talk about X-23 again. Good job, guys. Good, good job. I can't wait to see what's next. I want to see what Hickman does for that bitch because mm, she's good. She's the best mutant. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Fucking Gabby I'm sorry, uh, Scout is my favorite mutant. Bam. Superior Spider-Man number 6, Legacy 39. Christos Gage. So, I know that I gloat about how this is my favorite Spider-Man book, and one would think that I wouldn't put my favorite Spider-Man book in a pile of no-reads, right? Or, well, I did read it, and this was, a, a unfortunately, one, one of the weaker ones in the title. It just kind of really spread out. I feel like everything they said in this book... Uh, at the uh, throughout all of it could have been done in a couple of pages, three or four pages. Uh, filler issue is what it is. It's still very much Superior Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is all up in that bitch too. Just could have maybe 
I don't know. I don't know. Not my favorite. It happens. Sometimes you get a speed bump in your favorites, you know? Every once in a while, your favorite actor does a, you know, Batman and Robin. Sometimes that happens. It is what it is. Uh, issue 6 of Superior Spider-Man was the Batman and Robin of Superior Spider-Mans. Miss Marvel number 3, Legacy 60, Saladin Ahmed. This is a no-read only because... I had to clear some, I mean, I couldn't find anything to, to cut out and say, uh, maybe I just won't read it this week. Now the, it's all of a sudden, I mean, the podcast is recording. I've got a couple of days before books come out. I will read it. I will. I will. Because I have been enjoying Miss Marvel. I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. Because I, on pre-Saladim Amen, I disliked that character very much because I found no relation. It's not just because I'm a white dude. It's because I it's felt like a Silver Age, I don't, it's a high school story. You know, a Silver Age Spider-Man story. You know, in high school and boy problems or teenage dating problems and puberty and friends and all of that. And it's just, as a 30-something-year-old dude, doesn't really tug on my nuts much. But this... Saladin Ahmed managed to take the same concepts of that and still uh, just do it different and, dare I say, better. So, yeah. Uh, but I did get the chopping block this way just because... Or, um, uh, temporary chopping block. Let me clarify that. Daredevil. Daredevil is on the... The, the the honorable mention list too. Yes, um, Daredevil number six, Chipzarski. Maybe it was the lack of Marco Cicchetto doing interiors. Maybe it was the fact that it was a complete filler and didn't explain anything. We know that there's no Daredevil now. That's what we get. Clarifying. The last page of issue number five is the next 20 pages of issue number six. Essentially. It happens. Once again, another speed bump. Major X number four. Oh, a Leafield Golden book. Yeah. 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 DC time. Superman Leviathan Rises number one. This is a $10 thicken. It's big. It's the same story from three perspectives, three different times. So, what's going on here is Superman, or Clark, is trying to get himself kidnapped on purpose because people think that he's going to be the lead to get Superman because they know that they got that little relationship. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't work out because they put a fucking kryptonite vest on Clark. And that completely botches his plans of when they go away, I'll just not be Clark anymore, and I'll be Superman. I can't do that when, you know, you can't be Superman. So, yeah, um, Jimmy Olsen's a part of this. Mm, Yeah, it's, uh, Amanda Waller is a huge part. She actually kind of sets up Clark. Amanda Waller seems to be a bad guy here. Uh, we get we do get the first actual appearance of Leviathan, but we still don't know who the fuck Leviathan is. So, there's still mystery to it all. I don't know if this counts as a key or not. I don't know if you can count it as a key, but... 
Because I'm trying to get into action comics, I felt it necessary that I read the Leviathan story that's going on. And DC even said that the, all of the stuffs that's going to happen in the Leviathan story are going to uh, play out across the entire DC universe. So Justice League and Batman and uh, Flash and you know them all. Uh, yeah, so that's really my biggest inclination to read the story. I gotta know it all. Doomsday Clock, number 10 of 12. I will tell you all about it in a few months when it's finished. Because I think it's bi-monthly. So it's not coming out fast enough for me to feel confident retaining it. I haven't read a single issue yet. But I hear that this issue number 10 was dope as fuck. Or at least a big issue. I don't know if that necessarily means it was good, but it was big. I don't know. But people are, I mean, it's. it doesn't seem like it's going to be a series that uh, is pointless. Like DC has been doing lately. I, re- uh, I really do get the feeling that this is going to mean something based off of all of the Twitter chatter that I've been hearing. So, yeah, I'll read it when it's done. It'll be a trade negotiation. I will read it in trade, even though I am collecting the singles. Spawn. Number 297. Uh, I'm Well, I'm not going to go ahead and tell a, stories that have already been told. But uh, based off of what I read in issue number one, they do a very good job wrapping up a whole heap of Spawn and what they're going to do in just four issues. Up from one to 294. Six. From 296. 295. You see where I'm going with this. Somewhere in there. They're going to wrap it all up within just a few issues leading up to issue 300. So um, I will be reading this one probably as soon as I post this podcast because I really, really enjoyed the way the last one was summed up. IDW, we got Transformers. Uh, I'm sad to say that I will be dropping this book. Nobody's getting punched. Uh, I... I got a bit of a Magneto Professor X feeling here because we get a uh, flashback of Megatron and Orion. Or AK Optimus Prime, soon to be Optimus Prime. Maybe never Optimus Prime at this fucking point. We're through six issues now. I don't know what's going on. Uh, we get. I, it, it, the thing that was going to draw me in, if there was going to be no punches, is they had to show me that Rubble was going to be dead or fucked up or something. Some sort of weight to something. No, this is... This this is... Uh, it's all politics. Robot politics. I don't care. I'm so, I, I, I wanted to care, but I stopped caring. So, you readers, fill me in when people start getting punched and dying and whatnot. Or no, they don't even have to be people. Robots are good, too. I put Rick and Morty on the list from Oni Press, because they're at issue number 50 now. And I figure, what better time to jump in than... A milestone issue like 50. 50 is a milestone issue. That's that's awesome, Oni Press. Uh, Rick and Morty is classic. I'm a fucking Rick and Morty fan. I re- It's a bunch of mini stories, and I went through and I read a handful of them, and I'll be damned if this isn't a bunch of fucking Rick and Morty mini stories. I look forward to talking about Rick and Morty in the future. Dark Horse, we got Fight Club 3, number 5. Of 12. 
Uh, I'm reading this in threes now because it's very confusing and it comes out once a month. So it's hard to retain. Polonik is a goofy fucking writer. It's not a bad thing. It's just very different. I mean, he's a novelist more than anything. So having to tell his stories in comic book form can be mighty confusing. IDW, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Urban Legends number 13. So that's uh, that's an old story being retold. That's all I got for honorable mentions. I don't know why I can't remember that fucking name today. Honorable mentions. Uh, it was a big, 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 thick week. So we'll, we'll see what this week brings. Hopefully I get a give you guys a little bit more of an overview. I'm like, I think I am going to start doing this Twitter poll thing. If you guys got stuff that you really want me to spend more time on, go in-depth on instead of just giving a quick glance over, like a full spoiler fucking review, I will do so at your request. So let's move on to the pretty stuff, the wall books, the stuff that greets me on my way down to the studio that is Cerebro. Let's start with Spawn. Anytime Matina's doing a cover, you know I'm buying that motherfucker. And it's just a treat that he's been doing Spawn. And this is another amazing Spawn cover. Uh, it's... <laughs> Fuck, dude. It's it's Matina on Spawn. What can I say? It's different from all the other Spawn covers, too. A lot of the other Spawn covers are super fucking hyper-detailed backgrounds and, like, heavy greens. and Yeah, this, it's a white background, a smoky cityscape that's barely visible, and Spawn... In a spawn pose, jumping from a building. It's fucking dope. Fucking dope! Uh, oh, man. I bought three Immortal Hulk number uh, 18, 19. Whatever the number was this week of Immortal Hulk, I bought three of them. I bought one for me. I bought one for some lucky readers when I decide to do a giveaway. I might just do a 16, 17, 18 giveaway. I might just do that. But I also... Bought a Battle Lines variant. And this this fucking uh, Hulkbuster is dope. Uh, who did the Who did the Battle Lines this week? Jungju Kim. Good job, Jungju Kim. This is going on the wall of beauty. Another Battle Lines variant. I think this is also Jungju Kim. Nope. Sujin Jo did a Miss Marvel variant battle lines variant i got three battle lines variants this week uh i i, I never get battle lines variants <laughs> i just found three this Ms. marvel one is fucking awesome it, it's very it, it feels like it's watercolor but it's probably done in mixed medium it's pretty it's gonna look great on the wall i didn't just snag it to be a dick to the fucking asshole that usually gets in front of me at the lcs and picks up the whole stack and mouth breathes on everything and takes out every battle lines variant he can and gloats about it no that was i wasn't doing that i promise these will be hung properly i ain't ebaying on me dickheads and i don't ebay my shit i give them away to you guys so yeah even if i do get more i usually pre-order when i get doubles uh fucking goddamn the amazing spider-man variant oh with the spider punk on it this is another battle lines variant I just, I love the wall versions so many of the wall books are versions we got he jin jian Sensing a, a theme with artists this year, huh? Or this week. In the old battle lines. Good on ya! Uh, so, the the spider punk is... Oh, fuck. I love these colors. I love the pose. 
anything that has music I'm attracted to. Spider-Punk was an awesome, awesome fucking character design. I very, my favorite part of the, the Spider-Geddon thing, even though he didn't really play a huge part. They showed him a lot, but he didn't have a lot of weight to anything. He was just he was like, he was pretty like Spider-Ham. Actually, I think Spider-Ham had a more of a part to play than Spider-Punk, but what are you going to do? That's all I got for all of that. Let's talk about uh, my favorite shit. All of my favorite stuff of the week. Let's start with the covers. And there there were some really awesome covers. I, en- I always enjoy the... I mean, obviously, Matina, that's usually a giveaway for me. I gotta stop picking Matina covers, man. Some, and these aren't pity picks, just because I don't... Yeah, not a pity pick. I'm stalling. I can't think... It's, there's, there really are, Rob Leefield, just kidding, it's not that one. Uh, um, I'm gonna have to go with, um, Fantastic Four. Yeah, my, my gut, my gut instinct. Asad Rabik. Normally the colors, covers he's been doing for the Fantastic Four have a different type of, uh, color palette to him. This one, I almost feel like it's got a Toon Disney adult type of vibe to it. I dig it quite a bit. You know, you got uh, Mama Storm and then Val and Franklin standing there and then behind you got Yancey Street just ready to throw the fuck down and behind all that. It's like a fucking Marvel post. You know what? Marvel, Marvel, listen to me. Marvel movies, Marvel MCU, start getting Asad Rabik to do your movie posters because this is the best looking thing I've seen in a long time. This should be the fucking Fantastic Four movie poster right here. That's why I like it so much. Um, as far as interiors go this week, Thor. Fucking Del Mundo, man. That shit was pretty. I was lost <laughs> as far as the story goes. So I'm not sure how much I need to care about the dead brother of Odin. But, and that's not a knock on the book at all. Uh, if anything, I think it's a shout out even more to the interiors that I I paid that much more attention to a story I was lost on because it was so visually drawing and there there were some amazing fucking interiors this week there <laughs> you had some good stuff going on um the Power Rangers interiors were pretty fucking awesome I really really I dig those colors quite a bit um but overall my my overall pick of the week, the book that I just enjoyed the most, Thanos, pick of the week, I dug it very much, interiors were great, I like how this is forming the the Black Order slowly, that's really what this book is about, you, you, you know, uh, initially you might think, oh shit, this book is about the relationship between Gamora and Thanos forming, and I think it's way more than that, I think this is the development of the Black Order. Uh, and that's, oh, I enjoy that. I enjoy that very much. And for Teeny Howard to come in and fill the shoes of fucking Donny Cates after doing Thanos, and especially to do Thanos while Thanos is fucking dead right now in the current timeline of things and do a prequel and all of that, that's ballsy. So shout out to Teeny Howard and the fucking interior crew and the goddamn cover artist. That book is a five-star book this week. So great job 
Well, at this point, I think it's time to move on to what there is to be excited about next week. And there is a bunch of stuff to be excited about next week. We're going to start out with some indies. Ronan Island, number four, from Boom Studios. Greg Pak and Giannis Mila Giannis. It's a fucking odd name to say, but you draw like a motherfucker. And I have been enjoying Ronan Island. It's, it's, it has been a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't expect to be nearly as good as it is. Rocco's Modern Afterlife, number three from Boom Studios. Fucking loving the shit out of this book. There's nothing to not enjoy. If you like Rocco's Modern Life or you're a 90s kid or anything like that, this is it's the book for you. It's beautiful. Uh, Lady Mechanica, Sangri, number one. Joe Benitez, M.M. Chen, and Brian Ching, along with a few others. So the Lady Mechanica is doing a uh, um, an off story. I'm not exactly sure what it's about. Lady Mechanica's you, you you see that on the free comic book day a lot lately. The last two or three years, I believe, there's been a Lady Mechanica book. So it, it, it's a beautiful fucking book. It, it, it's amazing. I I always miss out when there's a new thing coming. So I'm gonna do my damnedest to try to remember to pick this up and hopefully talk about it with y'all folks next week. Um, there are there's so many great and intriguing indie comics. I don't even I don't if I talked about all of them it'd take forever, forever. Uh, Dead Sonia. Dead Sonia. Oh, shit. So not Red Sonia. Dead Sonia. This is from Keen Spot. Rob Potchak and Owen Genie Various. <laughs> Her name's not Various. Owen Genie and a few various other motherfuckers. So uh, I, I've actually enjoyed Keen Spot's books quite a bit. They're, <laughs> they're off. They're definitely strange. And for them to get a to get a license, like, or maybe they don't have the license. Maybe they're getting off on parody law. But it's not Red Sonia. She did. And you could tell on account of the zombiness that's happening. Uh, category Zero, number one from Scout Comics. I gotta mention a, a number one when I see it. Especially from, from an indie. Adam Camille and Tom Lima. I'm hoping my LCS will have that on the shelf so I can pick it up. We got some Buffy the Vampire Slayer, number five from Boom Studios. Jordi Belair and Dan Mora. Jordi Bel Belair, oh man. Good stuff. Oh, I'm surprised I'm not reading that. I'm not a Buffy person. Not that I dislike Buffy. I just... We never watched Buffy when I was a kid. Marvel Comics. So we got some War of the Realms stuff. New Agents of Atlas, number three. Uh, Greg Pak and Gang Kuklim. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But... Midtown's doing a limit one per customer, so maybe something big. Or maybe they're just doing that to sell books. I don't know. Uh, War of the Realms Journey into Mystery, number four. Clint McElroy, the McElroys, and Andre Arujo. Uh, Devil Baby. Devil Baby. That is the tagline for Journey into Mystery is Demon Baby, not Devil Baby. <laughs> uh, War of the Realms, number five. The Bulk Story. Jason Aaron and Russell Dalterman, goddamn right, I'll be talking about this. I'm so excited when this story progresses. We got some Uncanny X-Men, number 19, Matthew Rosenberg and Carlos Villa. Um, yeah, no, are we, we going to get a little Emma Frost action? 
I don't know. I don't know. No one really seems to care. <laughs> and no one cares by havoc about Emma Frost. And she bad. Tony Stark, Iron Man number 12. Gail, whoa. Gail Simone and Paolo Vanelli. So this is a War of the Realms tie-in as well. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say I would almost put money unofficially on the fact that if I were to line up the current events of where this book takes place, I'm going to say in the pre-number one range. Uh, fucking Gail Simone writing Iron Man, though. I'm I'm very intrigued with that. It's not Dan Slott this week or Jim Zub. That arc has come to an end. I wonder if she's just doing it for the War of the Realms tie-in. I'm really intrigued. But honestly, the best part about the Iron Man books, the Tony Stark Iron Man books, has been the Alexander Lozano covers. And this is no exception this week. And we're getting a dope-ass Battle Lines variant. Oh, yeah. All about it. Uh, oh, we got a fucking Age of Rebellion book from Star Wars. Luke Skywalker, number one. Greg Pak's doing that one, too. Chris Browse, Stefano Landini, and Scott Koblish. I'm on the fence. I don't know. Spider-Man Ghost Spider, number nine. Chad McGuire and Takeshi Miyazawa. So this book is continuing on to end to continue on with the same creative team again under a number one title again. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the only difference is, for sure will be the fact that she coming to the 616, bitches. So she's not going to be in another world now. So that's cool. Savage Avengers, Savage Avengers number two, Jerry Duggan and Mike Diodoto. This is my pick of the week for most anticipated. Uh, mainly because I had zero to no expectations. That, that would be no. Little to zero expectations. <laughs> Going into Savage Avengers number one, because I thought the team, for one, felt forced, and two, was just a cash grab for old uh, Mike Diodoto to go out with a bang. And then I read issue one, and I thought, did Conan and Wolverine just share a keg of beer together? <laughs> That's fucking cool. I like that very much, but it gets, the ending's the best part, though, the, of that last issue, when they're trying to draw Punisher, and they do it by fucking digging up his goddamn family. You fucking kidding me? Oh, yeah, I'm goddamn ready for that. Old Man Cool number six, Ethan Sex and Ibram Roberson. Uh, very much digging the story. Sex knows how to tell the tell, tell a wasteland story. That's for damn sure. And he's bringing in all types of fucking big hitters into this book too. All these Avengers and heroes and villains that we weren't sure were alive or not. They coming around. Meet the Scrolls number five, Robbie Thompson and Nico Heinrichen. This. Maybe something that I read in trade form. I believe I've been getting all of the single issues. I haven't been reading them, but they were recommended, uh, highly praised, so I thought, you never know. Why not? Rainy Day book? Um, we're getting a more Marvel team-up book. This is number three, Eve Ewing and Joey Vasquez. Uh, looks like we got some Spider-Man and Miss Marvel action going on there, so yeah, what are you going to do? Incredible Hulk, Last Call, number one, Peter, David, and Dale Kiwan. This is a one-shot, uh, I believe it's a retelling of an old Hulk story, or something along those lines. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I know that Marvel knows that Hulk's selling very well right now, because of uh, Al Ewing and his Immortal Hulk run, so why not just slip a fucking random old one-shot Hulk story in there for $5. Why not? Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. annual number one, Donny Cates and Yildre Sinar. 
I, well, of course I'm reading this. And I have been reading more and more annuals lately. Some of them tie into the main stories. Some of them are just one-offs. But I do enjoy when the original creative team that's doing the the ongoing continues to do the annual, just like that happened in Detective Comics this week. And, yeah, same thing with, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. They got Donny Cates, and he's also doing the annual, so... There's a good chance it can run on, but just be just like with Detective Comics, though, uh, that didn't necessarily tie into any of the actual current story that's being played into, you know, with the Arkham Knight and all that stuff. So you never know what you're going to get with these annuals, unless you know ahead of time, but I don't. Not yet, at least. Uh, we're getting some Deadpool action, getting close to the number 16 when it's all going to end for Scotty Young and Nick Klein. But I'm glad they're both back together on these books. This is a War of the Realms tie-in, too. So, uh, yeah, Deadpool number 13. Uh, of course I'm reading it. I'm not trying to pick that up as a tagline. It just keeps fucking popping into my head. I'll stop saying it, I promise. Deadman Logan number 8, Ed Brisson and Mike Henderson. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't think they would be this far into the story at this point. Uh, issue six, halfway through, he's already Logan's already back in the wastelands, so now he's just taking care of business in the wastelands before he dies, presumably. I'm liking it very much. Maybe my favorite Edward story told so far. Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history, but how could he? Paul Sheer, Nick Giovanetti, and Todd Nauk Nauk Nauk. I don't know how to say it, but he draws good. And how about that Daniel Warren Johnson variant cover? Oh, you bet your fucking goddamn anus I'll be picking that up. Anything that Daniel Warren Johnson does is gold. As a matter of fact, I picked some cool shit up at Comic-Con. It's going to tie into some trade negotiations later on. Listen up. Captain Marvel number six, Kelly Thompson and Anna Paolo Martello. Another War of the Realms tie-in. You got me, Marvel. I'm going to buy a book I'm not subscribed to because you put a War of the Realms tie-in tag on it, and it's probably going to take place before issue number one of War of the Realms and not mean anything at all to the fucking book because we already know what Captain Marvel is doing now. But regardless, buying it. Um, But here's the thing. I'm probably going to be subscribed from here on out because I just heard from... Mark Brooks, that he is now the current cover artist of Captain Marvel. Will he still be doing the Detective Comics variants? Probably not. And that's a bummer. So because of Mark Brooks doing a cover, Captain Marvel is going to probably start getting monthly money from me. And that is just going to be one more notch in Marvel's belt they have with the Brian Wayne. on the, or, Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm subscribed to all of these. Almost all of them. I'm not mad at that. It's just expensive. That's why you got to get a pull list, guys. That's what why LCSs are important, because they give you a pull list and you get discounts. There are weeks where I get a 40% discount on my books because I'm so dedicated to reading so much to you guys. Is that what it is? Black Cat, number one. Judd McKay, Travel Foreman, and Michael Dowling. Will this be an ongoing... I'm going to say it gets cut off in six issues. That's just speculation. I know issue one's going to sell hard uh mainly because of an art germ variant that's just my speculation if it carries on past six issues 
I am, I'll be happy. I'm only subscribed to the first issue, but I'm not counting out the fact that I'll be picking up issue number two. We'll know more as time goes. But that art germ variant, though? Holy shit, Scotty Young's got a variant. This is one of those books where Marvel's just like, oh, y'all haven't seen Black Cat in a minute, and we almost killed her in Amazing Spider-Man. Y'all thought that bitch was dead. Here's her own story and 12 variant covers. And then, <laughs> so that's what I got from Marvel. Let's get into Image, why don't we? We got Witchblade number 14, Caitlin Kittredge and Roberta Ingranata. Uh, I, I'm not reading Witchblade. That doesn't mean I don't like it. I just, I haven't got into it. So if this is a book that you readers, any of these indies, I know a lot of people when they recommend in books to me, it's all nine times out of ten it's an indie. So you don't talk about enough indies. I do read a lot of indies. Unfortunately, I jumped onto a lot of these indies before I could really, I mean, it's just too late. So I'm not as versed in, and I don't feel as comfortable talking about you or talking about them in a knowledgeable way to you guys because I don't want to give you guys misinformation and I don't want to deter you from the books by giving shoddy explanations. So uh you guys recommend stuff to me and i'll you know i'll do my best to go through and throw it on the poll list and learn what i can or you, you know you guys reach out and tell me i don't know i don't fucking know but i want to read more of this stuff to you guys uh walking dead one number two 192 robert kirkman and charlie aldrod with a few of us why are there so many on this there's no colors in it I don't read The Walking Dead, but I subscribed a few. Actually, as of Walking Dead Day this year, I subscribed just because you never know when a key issue is going to come out. Well, a lot of people are speculating that 191 may lead to being 192. Uh, well, obviously, that leads into that. The fact is, 192 may be a super fucking... Uh, valuable issue down the road on account of there may be a big death. May or may not. I don't know. The The truth is out there at this point, pre-release of the book, because indies tend to give out the, those reader copies early. I can go through and read it now if I wanted to, but I'm not gonna, because I don't like spoilers. Thumbs, number one, Sean Lewis and Hayden Sherman. Uh, this is an image title. I don't know anything about it, but it's an image number one. And I, I naturally picked those up. That's where you guys are getting a lot of the uh, the, the indie rundowns from me. The, you know, anything that's come out in the last, say, five or six months, you know, that's started, I've picked up. And just indies, they don't come out every week, two weeks, three weeks, like, you know, the, the big two do. Sometimes it takes five weeks. Sometimes, you know, you go seven weeks. Uh, in between releases, it just depends. So it may feel like I'm not reading as much indies, but I, I do read a bunch. Thumbs, I'm putting on the list. I'm going to give it a shot. Don't always read past issue number one, though. Uh, Stray Bullet, Sunshine and Roses, number 41, David Lapham and David Lapham. So uh, I'm not reading Stray Bullets, but I hear good things. I do hear good things. Sharky the Bounty Hunter, number four, Mark Millar and Simone Bianchi. I am reading... Sharky the Bounty Hunter, and I am talking about Sharky the Bounty Hunter. As a matter of fact, I am thoroughly fucking enjoying Sharky the goddamn Bounty Hunter. Paper Girls number 29, Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang, Matt Wilson. Uh, I started reading Paper Girls. I picked it up at 25. I dropped it at 28. Because as interesting and as fun as it was, I realized it's just not a book that I really needed to dedicate my, my personal time or money to. Uh, that doesn't mean there's not a 
fucking huge goddamn audience for it. Um, 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 um. Criminal number five, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Jacob Phillips. I'm not uh, not reading this one even though it's early, so if this is something that you guys recommend I jump on, let me know. Um, Let's see here. Let's move up to DC. In DC Comics, we... I, th- I think we're, we're, if I remember right, there's something big happening in DC. There's always something big. Always something big. Oh, let's start with Shazam, number six. Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. Totally fucking digging Shazam. Totally digging Shazam, and the cover's beautiful, too. Justice League, number 25. This is a DC Year of the Villain tie-in. Um, yeah. Scott Snyder and Jorge Jimenez and Javi Fernandez. I, I, I don't know if this is part of the sixth dimension continuing on or not. Are they going to leave me hanging for a second? I don't know. Maybe that's part of the DC or the... Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But fucking Justice League is my favorite DC book now. As of right now, that, that cha- <laughs> seems to change week to week. But as of right now, I could say it's my favorite. Harley Quinn, number 62, Sam Humphreys, and Otto Schmidt. Yeah, totally. Uh, every once in a while, I read Harley Quinn, and I usually enjoy it. Uh, Green Lantern, number eight, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. Uh, Interior-wise, it's the most beautiful book in comics. Uh, Story-wise, it is uh, dense, but if you can comprehend it, go in with the fresh brain. Don't go in with the tired brain, because Grant Morrison will throw some fucking words at you. But it's it's a fun book. It is a fun book. We got some Sandman stuff from the DC Vertigo. We got uh, Dreaming, number 10, Simon Spurrier, and Bilquis Evely. Deathstroke, number 44, Christopher Priest and Fernando Parsane. This book's getting my money on account of a variant. Oh, yeah, no, this is the big one. Deceased, number 2, Tom Taylor, Trevor Hersey, and Stefano Guadiano. Totally digging this book. This I might actually get all three covers on that one. Because I'm a fiend. I was going to say Tom King number 72. It is the Tom King story. Batman number 72, Tom King and Mikel Janine. I always love it when Mikel Janine does stuff because that dude's fucking brilliant. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles part 3, number 2, James Tiddy and the 4th and Freddie Williams Jr. Along with the help of Kevin Eastman. Uh, So good. That first issue was so goddamn good. So excited for this book. I'm glad it's a thing. I'm so glad it's a thing. And we got The Adventures of Super Sons, number 11, Peter J. Tomasi, Carlo Barbareri, and Matt Santarelli. That's all I got for DC this week. And, uh... That, you know, that's it. Oh, we've, and we've got some Black Hammer. Let's go. Uh, one more Andy to talk about from Dark Horse. Black Hammer 45 from the world of Black Hammer number four. Jeff Lemire, Ray Fox, Matt Kent, and Charlene Kent. So that's the hype for what would it be? The 5th. The 5th of June. Already into June, guys. So that is this podcast. Uh, stay tuned for some. Creative Corner coverage live from the floor of Denver Pop Culture Con. That will be coming soon, along with more stuff, because this podcast will never die. You guys know where to tune in. Oh, uh, shout out to all the new Patreons. Uh, you, you, your patrons. All you Patreons. <laughs> I said it again. Patrons that joined over the weekend. 
fucking thank you so much. It goes towards the podcast. I don't blow it on... Uh, I, I do blow it on booze. Just kidding. It's for the podcast. I only drink when I'm talking to you fuckers. Uh, but with all that, I love you. And the more of you join, the more love I have to give. It just builds up. It just builds up. So thank you all in all seriousness. Tune in next time. Cheers. Thank you.